Let's open up our Bibles this morning and go to the book of Colossians in chapter 4 of Colossians. And we're in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 4. Just the three verses for us this morning. As we turn over into the new year, we were focusing, of course, on Advent uh, in December. And prior to that, we were in, in the book of Romans. We will return to Romans, Lord willing, next week, beginning with chapter 3. But in the, in the between time, I wanted to encourage us, as we start this new year, to be thinking about our, our missionaries and uh, particularly praying for them and just praying for one another here in the body of Christ as well. So, so we're going to go to Colossians chapter 4 and verses 2 through 4. And Colossians 4, 2 through 4. This is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word, to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, now we ask for your help that you may open doors for the word in our hearts, that we would be able to receive what you have said, that your word would do the necessary work in our hearts to give us faith, to help us to uh, follow you in your way, and also, Father, to help us to, to love one another. We pray, Lord, that you would give us this blessing. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. This past November, I read a book by a former missionary, a missionary that I'd heard speak at a conference uh, many years ago. Uh, his name was David Sitton, and his book was uh, called To Every Tribe with Jesus, and it was a very interesting read um, about uh, ministering or bringing the gospel to um, uh, unreached language groups, particularly tribal peoples. And uh, uh, what struck me the most out of that book, though, was a section in the book titled, Will You Pray For Me? Will You Pray For Me? Uh, from the open heart of a missionary. And the words in that section uh, convicted me of, of my lack of prayer for missionaries and uh, missions work and how utterly dependent gospel workers are on God's help, and I knew after reading it that I needed to share a message with you about our responsibility to pray for the work of the gospel and those who are personally involved in that work. And I thought since you know, this is the first Sunday of the new year that it would be a perfect time to do it, so here we are. Now when we think of gospel workers in the New Testament, we can't help but think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, most of the book of Acts follows the Apostle Paul's missionary journeys around the Roman Empire as he carried uh, the gospel message to many different cities, uh, making disciples, uh, planting churches. In most uh, of the Apostle Paul's letters to the churches that we have in the New Testament, he asked those churches to, to pray for him, to pray for his fellow workers, to pray for the work of the gospel being done, and it was, a, it was a common request for him because he was convinced that he needed 
the prayers of the church. He knew that without God's help and God's protection and blessing for all of his work, that uh, it would be fruitless. Um, and so if, if gospel ministry is to be fruitful, if the gospel message is to be heard, received, and believed, it will depend upon the supernatural work of God's Spirit. And at the same time, gospel work has been and will be opposed wherever it is happening, both by the evil one, the devil, and evil men of this world who, who hate God and hate his word. So therefore, gospel workers depend upon spiritual protection. This is why uh, with every update that we receive from our missionaries, either uh, by letter or by email, uh, they will include requests for prayer, how you can pray for us uh, in their letters. And so that's why when we publish the missionary updates that we receive um, on the back of the bulletins, uh, we may not always include everything that they've reported to us um, in their letters uh, on those bulletins because we prioritize their prayer requests. We make sure um, to share those prayer requests with you so you can pray more effectively for them. All gospel workers depend upon God's help and blessing for their work, and that is you know, missionaries, that is support staff for missions organizations, that's pastors, that's uh, campus ministry workers, that's Sunday school teachers, that's youth ministry volunteers, and that's families as well of all those people. They are all involved in spiritual warfare, seeking to free people from spiritual darkness to see and know the one who is the light of the world, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I have not prayed for them as I ought to have, and I know that I have not led you uh, as your pastor to pray for them as we ought. So I hope that this message this morning uh, that I can encourage you, uh, encourage all of us to, to dedicate ourselves to praying for missionaries and for the proclamation of the word of God. So uh, our main theme then for these few verses from Colossians 4, 2 through 4 is prayer for gospel workers will be a priority for those whose life is in Christ. Prayer for gospel workers will be a priority for those whose life is in Christ. So I have two points for us from our text. And the first is prayer ought to permeate the life of a church. That's from verse 2. And the next is prayer for gospel workers ought to permeate the prayers of the church. So prayer ought to permeate the life of a church. And then prayers for gospel workers ought to permeate the prayers of the church. So let's look first at that first point. Prayer ought to permeate the life of a church in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Of all the requests for prayer that Paul makes in his letters, I wanted to focus on this one here from Colossians uh, for this message. Like the others, it's a direct request for prayer, but it also comes in the context of prayer being a very natural act of every genuine Christian. Colossians teaches us that prayer flows out of our experience of being in Christ. Therefore, it's not just another duty, 
or command that we are to follow. It is an outgrowth of the transforming work of the gospel in the heart of one who has come to know that his or her identity is found in Christ. Now, believe me, I know that sermons on prayer can easily become discouraging experiences. The saying goes, it only takes four, a four-word question to make any Christian feel guilt-stricken. How is your prayer life? And let me tell you, that also works with pastors. Um, but that's not my goal this morning. Uh, that's not my goal because I don't believe that was Paul's goal when he wrote this in the book of Colossians. He wasn't trying to convict them of their sin, of not praying as they ought. He was teaching them about what it looks like to live a life in Christ. And prayer was an outflowing of that gospel reality in the life of their church. So let's look back at a couple of verses earlier in Colossians. I'll show you what I mean. So chapter 1, the end of chapter 1, verse 28, um, Apostle Paul states the primary goal of his ministry. This could be called one of his life verses here. Um, and so this is his goal for the teaching that he was giving them in this letter. Chapter 1, verse 28 of Colossians, he says, Him we proclaim, that is Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So the spiritual reality for every believer is that they are in Christ. They stand before God in the heavenly places in Christ. And yet, they are still on the earth, indwelt by the Spirit of God, and growing in a process of sanctification, growing in spiritual maturity. So the Lord has provided the church with gospel teachers and preachers like Paul to preach the word of God to help believers grow in wisdom and maturity in knowing and trusting Christ. And now I'll turn in the, the next chapter to verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2. And here I believe Paul states the main theme of his letter to the Christians in Colossae. This statement here would be the heading that all of Paul's subsequent teaching uh, uh, points to in Colossians. Um, this is what, what the heading that, that it, it, it would all fall under here. Verses 6 and 7, chapter 2. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, when biblical authors say walk, as Paul does here, um, to walk in him, walk in Christ, they almost always mean live, live in him. How you walk in life is a metaphor for how you live, your choices, your desires, the direction of your life. That is your walk. And Christians are to walk in Christ as we have received him. That is by grace through faith. So when Paul then calls the believers in Colossae chapter 4, verse 2, to continue steadfastly in prayer, 
being watchful in it with thanksgiving. This is not something additional that they would need to add to their lives along with their faith. This would be a natural outflow of their life in Christ. It, it is in and through our praying that we reinforce our faith in Christ and commune with him. The great uh, Jonathan Edwards compared prayer to breathing for the Christian. Here's, here, here's how he put it um, in one of his sermons. He said, the true spirit of prayer is not other than God's own spirit dwelling in the hearts of the saints. And as this spirit comes from God, so doth it naturally tend to God in holy breathings and pantings. It naturally leads to God to converse with him by prayer. And so we are called here as a part of our life um, in Christ to continue steadfastly in prayer, to be persistent in prayer, to devote yourselves to prayer. If you are a parent or a grandparent, or if you've ever taken care of, of little children even once in your life, then you've probably experienced what I experienced just the other day when I was home with my youngest child. Uh, she asked me if, if she could watch a video that she had checked out from the library, and I told her no. She heard my answer, she understood my answer, but then she asked me again. And I told her the same answer, no. And then she asked me again. And then again. And then again. And I informed her that it didn't matter how many times she asked me, my answer was not going to change. No matter. She kept asking. Then I finally told her, okay, if you do a few chores, some specific chores I gave her to do, and then if you read three books, and if you wait until the long hand on the clock reached the number 12, which was about 25 minutes away, um, before you ask me again, I might just allow you to do it. So she ran off, and she did all that I asked her. Um, and then right when that clock struck the top of the hour, she came into the room and asked me again, Daddy, can I please watch that video? So, brothers and sisters, Paul is saying that we are to show the same persistence in our prayers to God. We are not to give up praying. We are not to give up making our requests known to God no matter what. We are to continue steadfastly in prayer. Be persistent. Continue to go to him day by day. We're also called to be watchful in it, being watchful in it, he says. This relates to being persistent, but has, a, has the sense of staying awake, staying alert, which you, if you are like me, you may struggle to remain awake and alert if your regular prayer practice is just to pray silently by yourself. So to keep from falling asleep, when, when I pray by, by myself, I've found that praying out loud helps, or praying standing up, or, or walking around as I pray, you know, maybe that will help you too if, if that is a struggle of yours. But, but I don't think Paul is referring to our practice of prayer here. 
but rather our attitude towards prayer. Being watchful in it refers to being vigilant in our attitude towards prayer. It is the opposite of being careless or listless toward prayer, but rather having a, a cheerful readiness, a, a willingness, even an enthusiasm to pray. Like, like a zealous rookie soldier showing up early for guard duty. He's ready to go. Yes, sir, let's, let's do this. Being watchful in it also points to how we see things when we pray. How we look at the world. What's going on around us. A Christian who is watchful in their prayers sees things how they actually are. He or she knows of the threat that the enemy poses. They, they know that our only hope is the Lord. And, and he knows that we are utterly dependent upon God to, to move, to act, to work for our good. And so watchful Christians pray fervently, but also with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving to God is the realization that all that we have, all that we enjoy, that, that any good that we will ever receive are simply gifts of God's grace. Being grateful to God is just the normal posture for every genuine Christian. We know God has been so gracious to send his son to save us, to give us his Holy Spirit, to grant us spiritual life when we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And we are convinced that we don't deserve any of it, that what we really deserve is his just condemnation. But out of his incredible mercy and love and grace, he chose to save us. And so now we live to bring honor and glory to him and we pray out of a spirit of thanksgiving. Prayer like this ought to permeate the life of a church and each of our personal lives as well. And secondly, prayer for gospel workers ought to permeate the prayers of a church. So verses 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So as the church prays for one another, we must also pray for those who have given their lives to do gospel work. The Apostle Paul, who at the time of writing this, was imprisoned for doing gospel work in the Roman Empire, he here asked this church to pray also for us. That is, pray for himself, pray for those serving along with him. So we must first remember that missionaries, pastors, preachers, and ministry workers are people just like us. They are in need of prayer just like you are in need of prayer. They have similar needs. They have fears. They have doubts. They have a need for spiritual growth. They have daily frustrations that they must endure with patience. They may have health conditions. They may be grieving losses. They may have a loved one who is suffering and it's causing them increased stress and anxiety. If they have kids, young or old, then they are concerned for them, just like you are for your own kids. 
They need wisdom and protection, just like you. So pray for them. Paul is not asking these believers to do something that he's not already doing for them. If you want to turn back to chapter 1, chapter 1, verse 3, as he's um, greeting the people in the letter and and introducing what he's about to uh, uh, tell them, verse 3, he says this, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. So he's been praying for them. He regularly prays for the believers here that are a part of this congregation. And then down in verses 9 through 12, Paul tells the Colossians exactly how he was praying for them, providing us with a wonderful example of the very real spiritual needs that we all have as believers. If you are looking for help in praying for other believers, if you want your prayers to go beyond just, you know, please be with so-and-so, please keep them safe, well then, have your Bibles open to this passage when you pray, and just pray for them like Paul prayed for this church, for the believers here. Look at verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of of the saints in light. What a marvelous prayer to pray for one another. I mean, each gospel worker needs to grow in these ways, just like you and I need to grow in these ways. So pray for them in this way as well as for one another. But gospel workers also have unique needs. Again, the book uh, To Every Tribe with Jesus, um, in that book, missionary David Sitton writes about their need for the prayers of the church, their unique needs for the prayers of the church. He says, like the Apostle Paul, we cannot carry on effectively without your prayers. He then goes on to outline some of the unique pressures and problems that gospel workers face. First, they face unique spiritual pressures. He says this, Is it possible that a missionary's zeal can dwindle? And a spiritual life go dry? One of the enduring misconceptions many folks have about missionaries is that we are super saints, entirely immune from the doubts, temptations, fears, struggles, and sins that plague everyone else. Not only are we encumbered with the common burdens of all believers, but these trials are even more exasperating on the mission field. So think about it. Many missionaries are serving in a place where most of the people they're living and working with every day do not speak their language and belong to a a completely foreign culture. Different ways of thinking about things, different ways of, of defining things, different ways of understanding life. Many are laboring to make disciples in order to plant a church where there is no church. So they may be one of the only Christians in that place where they are serving. 
They do not have the great spiritual benefit of gathering together each week to worship with a church, with people who know and love and care about them. They might not be able to worship by singing in their native language with a fellowship of believers or hear the word of God preached faithfully along with the church family. Often they're the ones doing the majority of the teaching and preaching. Like busy mothers of multiple children, they are the ones doing all the feeding and all the serving without the opportunity of being fed and served themselves. They're also vulnerable to spiritual attack as the enemy seeks to work against them as the gospel encroaches upon his territory and shines the light of Christ into the spiritual darkness of places and peoples who have been enslaved to demon worship for centuries. Missionaries face unique physical pressures in the field as well. Many missionaries serve in areas of the world with a a climate far different from what their bodies are used to. Along with that, their bodies may fight off different strains of viruses that are not at all common where they are from. Again, uh, David Sitton, uh, who served in in the tropical climate of Papua New Guinea, uh, writes this in his book, Malaria of every strain is endemic. Everyone either has it or will soon get it. Add to this is the threat of hepatitis, dengue dengue fever, amoebic dysentery, and all sorts of pesky parasites and tropical diseases that can permanently destroy a missionary's health. Some friends of mine who served as missionaries in Kenya said that the scariest experiences they ever had on the mission field were when they had to go to the hospital. In some places, not only was the medical care they were receiving suspect, but also the corruption of the place. That experience being taken advantage of, doctors or hospitals demanding an exorbitant amount of payment because they knew they were dealing with wealthy Americans. Other missionary friends who served in the Central African Republic said that their scariest experiences came when they needed to travel on the terrible roads through their country as well as of Cameroon. Not only were the roads in terrible condition, uh, but they would also have to deal with military checkpoints or ones manned by gangs on the roads. They might demand bribes or would not allow them to continue on their journey or demand to search their, their vehicles for valuables. So we often pray for the safety of our family members or one another here when we know they'll be traveling on our very safe and smooth highways wherever they're going without any threat of military checkpoints. Therefore, how much more ought we to pray for missionaries in unstable countries when we know that they are traveling? And there's also the unique pressure of fundraising, which is almost a constant burden for missionaries. For most missionaries, they are responsible for raising their own funds in order to serve as gospel workers in a foreign country. They are the ones responsible for writing the letters, for making the calls to to churches and individuals. When they are finally able to spend some time back home in the States after being on the mission field for an extended period of time, they often have to spend the majority of it 
traveling to their sporting churches to give reports and to, to seek, seek more support. They may then have to try to visit new churches and make new relationships and have meetings with other potential financial supporters just so that they will have enough money to remain on the mission field doing the gospel work that the Lord has called them to do. I mean, how well do you like asking for money? It definitely takes faith to be in full-time gospel work. So missionaries need our prayers for that faith, for that encouragement, as well as for financial support. In your bulletins, I, I listed just a, a list of different prayer concerns, prayer needs. That's a guide for prayer for, for missionaries. It's on the back of the, of the sermon outline sheet in, in the middle of your bulletins. That's for you to use. Um, for your prayers. Now look, look back again at verses 3 and 4, and let's note specifically how the Apostle Paul was asking the church in Colossae to pray for him and his fellow workers. Colossians uh, 4, 3 and 4. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on, a, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. So here Paul is referring to the gospel work itself, his proclamation of the gospel, the mystery of Christ, the saving message of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Paul is saying that unless God opens a door for that message, their work will be completely ineffective. Paul's implying here that if the proclamation of the gospel is to bear any fruit in the lives of those who hear it, it is completely dependent upon God. God must open the door for it. God must work in the hearts of those who hear it. God must have mercy on those who are dead in their sins in order to give them ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe and receive the good news of salvation in Christ. This is the case not only for missionaries seeking to uh, preach and teach the gospel to unreached people groups who have never heard the, the message before, but it's also true for anyone involved in preaching and teaching the Word of God. From pastors preaching each week to their congregations, to Sunday school teachers of all ages, to youth ministry workers leading Bible studies on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, to campus ministry workers in large group meetings on university campuses around our country and the world, to moms and dads reading the scriptures with their children around their breakfast tables. As one teacher put it, only God can bring the message to life in such a way as to raise the spiritually dead to life. That is why praying for evangelism, missions work, and preaching is so urgent and vital. Just listen to a few Bible texts that verify our utter dependence upon God for the fruitfulness of gospel teaching and preaching and why we must pray for this. In Acts 16, when Paul first came to the city of Philippi with the gospel, he first spoke the gospel message to some women who were gathered by a riverside to pray. And Acts 16:14 tells us, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And then in Acts 14, verse 27, 
uh, as Paul and Barnabas are returning from their first missionary journey, Luke describes for us uh, there how they reported about their journey to their sending church, to, to Antioch, in this way. He said, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And then in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6, Paul describes what God does in the heart of every new believer. In other words, how God opens the door for the word. It says, for God has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, the most vital prayer that we can make for gospel workers and for those whom they are trying to reach with the gospel is to pray that God would mercifully and graciously open to them a door, open up their hearts for his word, open a door for the word to be declared, for the word to be heard, for the word to be received, believed, and loved. Hudson Taylor, uh, the missionary founder of the China Inland Mission, on one of his uh, return trips to England to recruit more gospel workers, he was greeted by a man who asked him about a particular mission station in China. And uh, he asked how the work was going in that, at that station, asked about the missionaries uh, that were serving there, and uh, Taylor was uh, surprised at how very specific the questions that this man was asking about that station. And he, and he could tell that he had a great interest in it, great passion uh, for the work being done there. And uh, that particular mission station that he was asking about um, was doing very well, with, with much gospel fruit being born there. More new disciples were, were, were being made through their ministry, and these disciples were growing in their faith. They are being trained for leadership, and more and more were being sent out to reach other villages with the gospel. It had obviously been a station that was particularly blessed by God. Taylor finally asked the man why he had such an interest in that station, and the man told him that he had gone to college with one of the missionaries there at that station, and that he had committed to pray for him and his work every day. And he had not failed to do so since this classmate was sent out to China. So, brothers and sisters, let's make 2024 a year where we revitalize our praying for gospel workers and gospel work throughout the world so that one day we might be able to hear such glowing reports of the gospel bearing fruit through our prayers and through the faithful work of those that we're praying for. Let us pray. Our Father, we, we know that in order for people to be saved, to be made right with you, they need to hear your words. And in order for them to hear your words, there needs to be people going to them with your words to declare to them your words. And in order for them to hear your words from these people, these people need to be sent. Father, we pray that you would help us as a church 
to be a sending church and to be a praying church. We pray for your blessing upon the workers that have been sent out, the workers that we uh, support financially, as well as support with our prayers. Lord, help us to dedicate ourselves this year to praying for the work of the gospel, that you may open a door for the word through their ministries. You would help them to make the message clear. And Lord, that the people that they are seeking to reach would be blessed by you to hear your words, to understand, and to believe. Oh, Father, we look to you. We depend upon you. We ask for your help. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's stand now and praise our God together. May you know the great love, peace, and mercy of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And may he so move your hearts to pray that God may open more doors for the word. So many more may be delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his beloved son. Amen.